I don't think you guys understand the amount of willpower it has taken me right now to not sniffle into the goddamn microphone. Ugh. I had a show last week, and a comic came to the show, performed at the show, and the whole time that comic was up on goddamn stage, all they did was... So the other day I was walking my dog, and, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get sick. I could see it coming a mile away. I knew it. The second I saw that person on stage, notice I'm also let it be known I am doing a goddamn good job of not saying if it's a man or or a woman. God damn it. Angry. Agenda of rage. Ugh. Anyway, I knew I was gonna get sick and it goddamn hit me uh late last night. I was like, I got a little tickle in my uh in my nose. Wonder why that? Oh, that's right. There it is. There's the Mount Vesuvius of fucking snot coming down, down my face. God damn it. Anyway, so yeah, so I have been. You guys, you guys ever go powered neti pot, dude? Powered neti pot. Seriously, you can kick that Energizer Bunny to the goddamn curb, steal its batteries, and get a powered neti pot. I am telling you, man, you will clean out those sinuses. Oh lordy. Better than Gertrude down at the construction site after a little bit of Taco Bell and a 20 spot. She's going to clean you out real good. Oh, you're going to feel great. I'm telling you. So, yes, please go get a powered neti pot, man. Um, But, yeah, I've been pounding the NyQuil. I pounded a bunch last night and slept like a log. So, uh, but enough about me and my snotty illnesses. Let's get into today's episode, shall we? Today's episode is with probably one of the most interesting men in the world. And not an interesting man in the world by the most interesting man in the world standards. I'm talking about a guy that is a soldier. He is a filmmaker. The dude is a father. Uh, He's a hell of a drinker. A super cavalier fun guy. And I don't think there's a more interesting guy in this town because this dude has done tours of war and then also, you know, picks up a camera and goes and shoots photography and then does a couple of videos on the side. And then when he's got a moment, he likes to take his kid down to the park. He's he's dynamic. Dynamic is the, probably the best word you could use for him. I love this guy. Uh, we became friends years ago while working on film projects. I've had the... Um, I've had the fortune enough to have that guy direct me in a couple of small films. And I'm telling you, this dude, the stuff he puts out is light years ahead of everybody else. And that, that just goes to show, man, you got a little bit of grit and you got some determination and you can do anything. And this guy is proof. And I don't know what it is. I just, I'm so drawn to these, uh, these military types even though I never did, uh, you know, I was a big puss and never went and did my four years of service. But for whatever reason, I'm drawn to him. I just, I like guys that have a motor that get up and go. And I feel like there's a lot of military guys that have that. And he, and this guy is definitely one of them. Uh, make sure you go out and you find him. Ethan Nagel Films. You can find him on social media. Please follow him. He puts out great stuff, great content, amazing filmmaker, hell of a director. Uh, this week's guest, and I'm telling you, every single story this guy tells, I mean, I mean, this guy did tours of Iraq, Afghanistan, and then recently saved 200 orphaned Ukrainian children. Not a lot of people have that kind of range. That is a resume, my friend. And then on top of it, can work a camera? Jesus. Oh, he's one of the sweetest guys I've ever met. I love this dude to death. Please, let's all take a long walk to Cleveland with Ethan Nagel. (laughs) 
Well, the one nice thing we've sort of become accustomed to is people putting out shit. Yeah. So when we when we see it, we're like, whatever, dude. Like yeah, people yeah. know how hard this, like you know, cameras oh, yeah. and audio. Yeah. They know how hard it is. So yeah. we kind of give everybody a free pass when yeah. Yeah. their stuff doesn't really sound great. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Christ, man, I work for Adam Carolla. He fucking podcasts from the car sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah. And people are like, what? Mm-hmm. You can hear fucking semis flying yep. by, and yep. nobody gives a shit. They're yep. just like, we get it, dude. It's just yeah. kind of the way it is now. Exactly. And, yeah. and like I, I remember seeing, like I said, I've seen that before. Like people are like webcasting each other and then that's their podcast like yeah. they just go for three hours and then it's like the audio's off you know not off but it's you know you're just like yeah all right that's cool and it's it's so fun to listen to as long as the subject's you know gonna go then it's that's yeah yeah uh somebody had brought this up to me a long time ago i think it was an old radio consultant this dude named dan o'day and he said uh he said you're wasting so much time um like producing because yeah. you, you want it you want it to sound perfect you want it to sound What's the you know what the number one show on TV is South Park yeah, and that is the clunkiest piece of shit on the planet. Yep. But what they say in the show is what is, so, is what yeah. matters. So yeah. don't yeah. worry about polishing it up, man. Yeah. And, I, and like that's that's when things really clicked for me. I was yeah. like, oh, you need to work on the subject of it instead of making yep. the. I think we sometimes we kind of get flashy yeah. because we're like we'll trick people into thinking. We know what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. So we're yeah. gonna make the flashiest video we can, and we're gonna make yeah. the flashiest piece of audio. Yeah. And then really, but it doesn't matter because what people really want is like the meat yeah. of that yeah. content. Yeah. So and yeah. you can kind of see that too. I mean, with Black Rifle, like we have the black. They they went back from free range to Black Rifle and uh, podcast, and then now you can see them. There, you know, and they do the clips. They they have their own editing team. You know, a team just to handle the podcast. And, you know, they'll put the clips together and then have the, you know, the uh, the subtitle to kind of bra- draw people. And so that's like the higher, higher end when people start doing that. Mm-hmm. But then you look at Rogan. It's like that dude just has a setup. He just posts who's on it. And clearly he's the biggest. Like, I get it. But but sometimes some people are just like, yeah, man, just like check out the podcast. And then that's it. Like, you know, you can put a clip if you want, but I'm not going to someone like me. I'm not going to overthink it because then you get too wrapped around the axle. And then you're like, oh, I, why, why didn't I do this or why didn't I do that? It's like, well, because you have a job, <laughs> you know, like I have a. Nine, if I have a, a, a eleven month old and a and a full time job and I'm traveling constantly. Like just to just to finish a podcast, get somebody on at like nine p.m. because that's how I put my daughter down, and then I can be like, hey, can you come over at like seven or eight, <laughs> and then we'll knock something out for an hour and a half. You know, that's already tough enough for me to do. You know, just, but I just want to be able to do that. But yeah. Yeah, and then run video is like a plus. You know, be like, yep, I'll set it up and we can run video. And that's it, yeah. Yeah, I had a conversation with a couple people I work with yesterday and I said, by the way, I am not a shit talker because I work with a bunch of people that are shit talkers. And it's funny, and I don't really care so much if people are shit talkers. It doesn't bother me. I don't get like, you know, I'll sit and listen to it, but I usually never engage. And the biggest difference I see is, uh, first off, I am like 13 years older than some of these people that I'm working with. Mm -hmm. So I know how fucking hard it is to, every time I go to like a film fest, especially the one in town, Z Fest. Every time I go to one of those, I always hear somebody talk about the quality of somebody's film. And I'm like, do you guys have any idea how hard it is to get a concept in your brain, put it on a piece of paper, get other people convinced that this is a good good idea, idea. and then have them show up with gear for like a week and put shit together. And then to edit it, yeah. to deliver it, and then mm. to have the balls to put it on a fucking screen yep. in front of strangers, yep. for you to say a fucking word. Yep. By the way, most of the people that talk a bunch of shit have never yep. done yep. shit yep. ever. Even when I talk shit, I will preface it with go, 
it, but at least they made the video. Like I will always say, <laughs> God, that movie sucked ass. But I will always give the live. They they made it. They got it in the can and they released, it, which is more than what I've done. Like I'll, yeah. I will always say, that in my pursuit of being a film director is like I'm still, you know, pursuing that, and that's always, you know, that's my end goal or not end goal, but that's just my life's passion. But I, you know, I'll talk shit, but I will always preface it. Always be like, but they did it. I'll always say they did it. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they, they accomplished it. They got it done. Did it turn out well? No, but they went through the process and they, you know, they put it out there. I mean, they put themselves out there and they did it, you know, like you accomplished that and that's a big deal. And that's what makes filmmaking hard. It's like, not only do you, you're right, you got all that done. And in the end, it still sucks ass. It's like, now imagine doing it to a giant scale and then hoping that people just like it. I mean, there's films that that people love 10 years later they're like that's a masterpiece I'm like well that was a failure at the box office so yeah super you know, troopers yeah, super, yeah exactly yeah. Like super troopers like yeah. and then like other cult oh, well, there's some other cult classics too like oh like boondock saints is like a massive one you know they didn't make their money back till like well over the years since like 2001 i think it came out or 99 but like yeah i mean that's a massive following but that's like a slow burn cult classic you know and like the sequel is terrible but like you know what i mean <laughs> but yeah so but it's again though they did it they made yeah. the film like i always say it's like man sometimes i'm like god they made that you know like that's kind of my head i'm like it takes so much effort and then like you see a movie and you're like it something sometimes like my wife says she goes it gives me hope that you can still be a film director because <laughs> we'll watch movies and we'll be like they put the they put like a million dollars into that or 10 million and that's what they got which is again i always say they did it they they did it but yeah yeah i was sent a rough cut finally i saw it did you ever hear about under the stadium lights did you hear about no, that movie? I don't think so. That was the movie that was shot in Owatonna with Lawrence Fishburne and what? Milo Gibson. Did you ever hear about that? No, no. Okay, so... I need to plug more into the Minnesota community. Because uh, there's, like, movies that are coming out. And I don't even know what the fuck's going on. Oh, like yeah. That. Sometimes I'll see, like, you know, yeah. shot on location in yeah. Shakopee, Minnesota. And I'm like, when the fuck did that come yeah. through here? I had are, no idea. Are we rolling? Yeah, we're rolling. Oh, yeah, I yeah. did not know that. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Yep. yep. Okay, all right. Well, well, totally rolling. Cheers, man. Yeah, I'm man. glad to be here with yep. you. Right on. Yeah, I, was no, about, no, no. I was about to bust up my cell phone and be like, oh, I'm here with Rudy about the uh, start. Yeah, you still can. Yeah, you can still can do that. It's yeah, totally fine. No, that's... That's the thing is that I've learned many times is that uh, <laughs> I didn't know. usually some of the best stuff comes when people are just like yeah, just yeah. chatting and yeah, they have yeah. no oh, idea. Oh, it, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I was they, just like, oh, the red's right. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. red light is happening. Like, yeah. oh, shit. <laughs> what did I say? You start doing that mental, yeah, oh, yeah, God yeah. damn it, what did come yeah, out of yeah, my yeah, mouth? Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, Under the Stadium Lights was a uh, film that was produced in, in southern Minnesota. Uh, Milo Gibson, who is Mel Gibson's son. Oh, no shit. He was in it. Uh Lawrence Fishburne, I was in it. I I had a small role, yeah. and during a fight scene with Milo Gibson, I can't believe I've never told you this story. Huh. During a fight scene, which was choreographed, I mean we we worked with this dude named James, who was yeah. like one of the fight choreographers from yeah. uh, uh, Endgame. Oh wow! So when he was on set, he had just rapped on Endgame. Really? So he knew the story. Yeah, yeah, he knew how it was all going to end, and yeah. so we're all just sitting on set, Trying just like, guessing. And yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. "You guys are so fucking far off." I'm like, "God damn it!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we worked for like three days. On the, I mean, I went down there and worked for two days in like a karate dojo. Yeah, and then one day on set rehearsing. So I'm like, "Dude, we got this down. We yeah. totally got this down." Yeah. So they they yell action, and we go through the motions, and I fall in Milo swings, and I must have, and I to this day. I don't know if I picked my head up off the ground too far or if he swung a little too low. Yeah. I always, just for the sake of argument, and yeah. I never want to make it sound like somebody <clears throat> else's fault, yeah. I always say I picked my head up a little too far. Yeah. I think he was swinging a little low. <laughs> 
but he hit me like Thor's hammer. Oh, because it was like, like a yeah. yeah, yeah. And when he when he hit me, I I, I went out. Mm-hmm. I dig a lot. And they, they left yeah. that little tiny piece in the film. And I just saw it yesterday for the first time. Yeah. It was like, shit, it must have been four what, years ago what they it, filmed this. Oh, really? What yeah. is, is that? What, what's it on? I'll go check it out. Um, it, uh, I, I don't even know. what it, You'd probably find it on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Um, okay. because, I'd imagine Amazon Prime for sure. To yeah. yeah. Um, because uh, when it came out, a friend of mine who was a film critic, uh, Nell Minot from Washington, D.C., uh, had texted me. And I was like, so what do you think of it? And she's like, well, I watched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Shit, I watched it. Yeah. It's getting 12% on Rotten Tomatoes right yeah, now. Yeah. So, yeah. It is, uh, it's not good, which is <laughs> fine. Yeah. Um, but it is, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. But no, but in yeah. that movie, like, he yeah. fucking drills me, man. Yeah. He drills me. And then I watched the, and, when I saw the trailer for that movie, I realized, oh shit, they turned this movie because what we made was super gritty. Yeah, and then they turned this movie into like a Disney kind of campy movie because oh, they, really? they sold it to uh, some I don't know who it was, Lionsgate or something. Oh yeah, yeah, Lionsgate. And Lionsgate yeah. took it, and they were like, we can't release this. So they took, they took out all the like super gritty shit and made like this campy sort of film, and it completely ruined it. Yeah, because what we made I thought was really good. Yeah. Do you and ever then, see that edit? Like I that, did. Yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, they sent me like the rough edit yesterday because I, yeah. I was asking because I just rebuilt my website and it's yeah. so dumb. You got to have all that shit to send up fucking mm-hmm. heat. And none of, they don't. They always tell you like, uh, I just sent something to a comedy booker the other day. Yeah, yeah. And I so I'll just send you like my five minute t- like unlisted reel on YouTube. And yeah. Then, and somebody goes, we're well, probably gonna want to have more like. 30 minutes. I'm like, you really think a guy's got 30 minutes to sit and w-? that guy yeah. watches for 90 seconds and he can, he has already made up his mind. Yeah. yeah. So I'll send him 30 minutes, but he'll watch 90, se- he'll watch 90 seconds of this tape. If it's five minutes or if it's 30 minutes, doesn't yeah. fucking matter. Yeah. So yeah. But anyway, let's talk about uh black rifle coffee. And then there's yeah, so yeah. much I want to get into. So oh, okay. Gonna, yeah. 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 I, I, dude, I've been, I've been hyping you up on the podcast for the last like month because I'm so goddamn interested. Yeah. I mean, you lead such a crazy, interesting life, and Black well, Rifle it. is Thank just you. like that's not even like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, um, I, I mean, I, yeah, we could dive into it. So, like, I guess in my life's philosophy, and and, and yeah, Black Rifle is, you know, it's it's an awesome. Right now, it's been a great opportunity being with them. I've been with them for about a, a year and a half, but um, yeah, the uh, you know, like growing up, you know, not to go through an origin story or anything, but like growing up, like the, the things that you're taught when you're young, obviously like, you know, people are like, oh, that ripple effects, you know, like either you're being bullied or the things that if you work really hard or, you know, like people grow up on farms or shit, you know, all that stuff like just affects you, like military brats, everything. And I remember um, one of my, you know, one of my uh, uh, wrestling coaches, and I always say wrestling was like a massive, massive, massive influence on me. Massive. It was the first time like I lost weight, which was, you know, when you're 13 years old, like 320 pounds, like that's a huge deal. Like this is the nineties or 2000. So, you know, that happened and then like discipline and integrity and like working out when no one else can see you, like all these things that you kind of learn. And I remember one of the things at wrestling camps, they'd always say it was Jay Robinson. And, um, he always said, um, if your life was a book, you know, would somebody pick up and keep reading it or would they put it back on the shelf? Now, you know, and I was like, man, that's a, like, it's just a good quote. And it's always stuck with me. And it's not so much to like be like, yeah, I want people to read about me when I'm dead or whatever. But it is something like, you know, making the most out of life 
that you that you can do and it's just the byproduct of like yeah you just you know have i just say yeah we have interesting stories but like you know uh, and then obviously for me like i'm very goal oriented so like me going into the marine corps and like going the infantry and and then that obviously is a massive formation of of who i became uh you know uh going to iraq two deployments afghanistan afghanistan really changed my life on how so uh, just the trajectory. So <clears throat> I was, uh, I did two deployments in Iraq, which was pretty rough. The first one was very rough. And then came back and did a second one, became a scout sniper and deployed again. Wow. So when you, when you say rough, you're talking about like a lot yeah, of firefights? It was not even a ton of firefights. Like I wish there were firefights uh, more, you know, I shouldn't say more, you know, wish we had more, but what's, uh, I shouldn't say, you know, the mind of an instrument, a firefight is much more, uh, you don't say decompressing, but it's, it's, it's gratifying on the fact that you can pull the trigger at someone else. We were always wired tight because we were getting hit with IEDs. We were getting hit by snipers. And then we were also getting drilled with uh, 120 millimeter mortars, which is damn near artillery, into our forward operating base constantly. They blow up our generators. They blow up our fuel farm. We were cut off from like the, you know, like basically we're in the middle of this town and, you know, the, the roads, the main uh, supply routes were IED'd. So it'd take hours for them to go like a few miles to get us supplies back and forth. It was just a heavy time. It was pre-surge. It was, it was early 2006. We did get into firefights and stuff like that. But I mean, like, you know, some of the craziest memories I have is like us going, you know, turning on onto uh, one of the one of the ro- or one of the just main roads down by the, uh, the, the palm groves. And we got hit with a, a 155 artillery shell. That was an IED and watching my squad get like get cut in half. And it was and people were like, oh, you were mobile when I talk about IED strikes. And they're like, no, no, no. I was foot patrol. Like I was getting hit with IEDs walking. No like, shit. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So when you say cut in half, uh, are you talking about you? The squad people? gets cut in half. So okay. I thought and this is again, we were fortunate. No one died. When you were uh, we'll just say like up until like the last couple of years, what was it that you were doing that was out? You were you weren't working for the military, but you were working for special ops, yeah. right? Was that what it was? Well, it was more of like we call it uh, PMC or you know a private military contractor. So I got out in 2009 from Afghanistan, made a bunch of connections, and then um, was like, okay, I'm going to go and be a, be a we we call a contractor in the industry. So um, it's basically just going and in back into combat zones, and you get paid a lot more money and do much shorter deployments, and then you go and travel the world, and it's a lot of fun. Crazy. So we like my first contract. I did a uh, I worked metal detectors, and was like went back to Afghanistan uh, within a few months after I got out, and then uh, did that for about three and a half months, and it was awesome. I just I just basically went out to all these uh, forward operating bases and just. Taught these guys uh, counter IED uh, and this gizmo thing that was a metal detector to pick up on IEDs. Um, pretty simple. Did that for three and a half months, I believe it was, and then came back. And then that was kind of my decompression summer was 2010. That was really me just like, you know, I made a bunch of money and then came back and was like, all right, I'm going to like live life, travel. Like I, I, uh, you know, my buddies would call, I would just fly out to them, you know, across the U.S. and, and just partied. Like I, it was just one of those things where, I don't want to say, you know, you, you like I said, you felt like you've earned it. Like uh, to me, it was very much like I'm going to do the things that I promised myself I would do if I ever made it home alive. So that's what I did was basically like I'm going to go out. I'm going to go hang with my friends. I'm buying everyone at the bar rounds. I'm going to, you know, you know, uh, in the morning, I'm going to buy bagels, just like something like small, minuscule things that you just people take for granted that you just never got to do. Like and mm-hmm. I was one of those guys that just didn't get to do it until after. And so then did that all summer. 
And then we uh, got on, I got onto another contract with another friend of mine um, who actually went to Ukraine with me and, uh, and whatnot. So um, we ended up going into what we call the CIA static. So it was an XBG program. We call it the client. It's been like 10 years now. So I just say it, you know, for years I was like, it was the client (laughs) three letter agency. It was the fucking CIA. All right. So we worked on a CIA base and whatever, like I'm, I don't need clearances anymore. Yeah. And so, and I always say it tongue in cheek because it sounds way cooler than it was, but we were on a CIA, uh, uh, black site in another country that I can't say. Um, and then, um, so we worked that contract and then they shut that site down. So then I shifted over to, uh, mobile protection. So which mobile protection means that you're taking on Department of State personnel like in uh, and you protect them going into combat zones. So they fly in from the U.S. Uh, I was in Kabul, Afghanistan for a year after that and then uh, did multiple deployment or you know deployments over there back to Kabul all the way through 2013. So I had like John Kerry, John McCain. Um, at one point, I think Hillary Clinton came out before, like way before presidential runs and all that stuff. This was back in, like I said, 2012, 2013. I worked there. Wow. Um, yeah. And then a bunch of, you know, other politicians and shit like that, that came in. And so, yeah, I did that for a year as a, as a mobile, what we call mobile protection, uh, and also DDM, Defensive Designated Marksman. So I would also, during events, would go up on the rooftops and just hold security with sniper rifles and whatnot in Kabul, Afghanistan, on certain venues. You ever but, have somebody from, like, afar come running up and you're like, fucking gotta gotta take a kneecap out, man, oh, just dude. in case? Yeah, we never, we got lucky. I, well, I shouldn't say we got, we got lucky where we, you know, it was very dangerous because I had worked with other guys and they got hit with, like, suicide vehicle arms, V-bids. And so, like, I just talked to a guy. He was actually on my first contract, and I saw him. I'm like, oh, hey, man, what's going on? Mike, uh, Mike Brunda, if I remember correctly. And he was like, yeah, man, like, we just got our, our buddies. They were in that I they were in that V-bin, like, yesterday. I was like, oh, fuck, man. He's like, yeah, that was, like, half my crew. Like, and it was a different contract. They were, like, Intel dudes. And they were in basically up-armored SUVs that stuck out. And they hit them and vaporize like three vehicles. Jesus. And so that's the risk that you take. And you, know, you always get reminded of that, that like, you know, you're balancing, you're young, you're balancing the risk and money and the, you know, reward. Um, and then the danger and obviously death, you're in a combat zone. Sure. So, and then my last rotation there, we got the, uh, the uh, Taliban slash Al Qaeda um, in June of 2013, uh, uh, tried to breach the CIA compound next to us, and then also there. So they were right next to our compound, and they basically breached the first, you know, swing arm. And then they started basically they had suicide vests on, and this big battle broke out, like about fifty to seventy-five yards from where I slept. So like we had a main gate that we used like every day, a hundred times a day. And that morning, at like six a.m., it just all this thing starts popping off. Machine gun fire is like ripping through like our our hooch and everything, but we all did what we were paid to do, you know, like, cause we're all vets. Everyone there is like SF, you know, com- multiple combat vets, like army, infantry, Marine Corps, Rangers. We all boom, shoot, shoot into action. Things probably last about an hour or two hours. And I had a friend on the CIA contract, just ripping a machine gun, like for an hour straight. It was wild. <laughs> and so, yeah. And, I uh, yeah. I would say this, it was, was kind of crazy. We had like, I came out the go- door and I see, the gate like shaking from the blast, like as they detonated themselves. And then you would see it like come over the fence. And I'd like, we had body parts just like we were running to where we needed to go to our pre-planned position. And you just had these body parts like, like just slowly peppering the ground as you're running. <laughs> Is that a smell you never get out of your nose? Yeah. I mean, you're just kind of like, you know, it's this burning flesh smell. And, and then we had the police call it for sanitary reasons. So after everything was over, we were like, did a police call. 
on the uh on the you know just like hands across america we call it and you just you know walk and pick up body parts and stick you know gloves on and stick them in the trash and you know to clean everything and jesus yeah so that was my last rotation and then i ended that in august of 2013 and then uh joined the guard national guard just kind of keep one foot in one foot out and then that summer i jumped into the uh, photography and film program and so then 2014 i started pursuing filmmaking which i had always wanted to do since i was a kid so i finally i shouldn't say finally i had you know about two and a half three years just decompressed i you know traveled the world i backpacked through central america and you know party oh, shit where'd you go yeah. so i was in costa rica panama guatemala el salvador um I know there's a few others. I'm missing them. Oh, Colombia. You saw body parts rain from the sky. It's okay if you don't, if you don't remember <laughs> yeah. a country or yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, Belize, yeah, and and um, and then Iceland, and then Ireland, and I'm actually going back to Ireland on Monday. Wow, family vacation. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, so wow, pretty excited. Good for you, man. Good yeah. for you. Yeah, Fuck. I, ah, I, seriously, like I could do a fucking like week long interview <laughs> with you. It's so insane. No, no, but there's like good. there's like ten other things I want to talk about real quick, yeah, yeah, and I know yeah. we're both on a time crunch. So no, uh, let's let's move on. You just recently got back <clears throat> from Ukraine. Yes. Yep. Now. Uh, you didn't talk about, I know you said a couple of things on your social medias about mm-hmm. we were over there, you were helping a few yep. refugees yep. come over. Now, exactly what was it that you were doing yeah. and and how did you come about this game? Okay. So yeah. So, and before we keep going, would you like another beer? I'll do I'm one gonna, more. I'm going to yeah, do, do one, one more, more too. Yeah. Yeah. F it. We'll do it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, so what happened was, <clears throat> and kind of, I'll, I'll, like I said, I know we're on time crunch, so I'll, I'll kind of go through it quick. So what happened was, is that we were a good friend of mine, Caleb Bullmeyer, I served with in Iraq you know, our first two deployments, thanks. And then we worked on the CIA static gig together. And okay. we just always been friends for years, real close. We hadn't seen each other in 11 years, actually. And so what happened was, is during the Afghanistan evac evacuation, like that was a massive disaster back in August of, of 2021. Everyone was trying to get their interpreters out. So basically it was this giant call to arms of everybody that uh, knew anything about anything uh, about trying to get these people on flights, trying to get, you know, trying to get them through the, uh, the H Kaya gates. It was just, a, you know, I could talk hours about that. Like that was just, that was insane. It was just an emotional roller coaster. I still, I managed to get 13 people out and I still got one family that's stuck in Afghanistan, but I managed to get 13 others out. Jeez. And so, when that all happened, and then, you know, so that's kind of... When your pr- wife gives you a hard time about not doing the dishes, <laughs> are you like, I fucking evacuated <laughs> Afghanistan people. Like, yeah. fucking get off my dick. She, she's, yeah, she's, it's funny. Emmanuel will say, she'll hear that. She's like, God damn it, Rudy. But she, she does. She She's like upset with me and then proud of me at the same time. She's yeah, like, right. pissed at you, but I'm very proud of you. And so, anyway, so what happened was, is that had all happened... And then um, I actually got out of the National Guard. Like, I kind of just hung everything up, like, the, my military career. I'm like, I'm, you know, like, war. I almost was like, hey, you know, basically I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm going to retire out, you know, push into, you know, pursue. You know, I have a family. I have a daughter. And just kind of, like, not close that chapter in my life, even though it's, it has been kind of half-closed for, for a few years. I never really, you know, I deployed to Kuwait, but that's really nothing, you know. And I'm just kind of like, I'm out. Like, I'm, I'm done. And so I get out in February and Ukraine kicks off at the end of February. And immediately that happens. I wake up and we had been talking about it for like a few weeks because of the buildup in Ukraine or in Russia. And immediately I'm like, fuck. And, and then, you know, over that weekend, we all start texting everybody that was on my signal app is what we use to try to get the Afghans out. It's like all these, you know, it's encrypted at messaging. Everyone was using it to, to uh, try to get the Afghans out. Well, 
everything starts firing up again. All the contacts that we made, which were in a lot of high places, Department of State, like you know, people working everywhere, touching touching a lot of areas, uh, special operations, the whole thing. So that starts lighting up, and we're like, okay, we start coordinating. We're like, okay, what do they need? Oh, supplies needs to get to Ukraine. Well, is Ukraine going to fall in the next four days? So it's like, over that week, we establish a network, and we end up linking up with people. And they were like, we need people to come over and and deliver to evacuate people, evacuate orphans, and then, you know, start a supply chain. So initially what the plan was is for us to go over to Poland and to establish a headquarters in Poland. And then there was going to be a headquarters in Lviv, Ukraine. And then we would help run, establish, OK, when these people are coming over, you know, we'll house them, get them the food. And then we'll, uh, you know, and then and then the supplies coming into Poland, we'll make sure that's coordinated to get across the customs border. Uh, and the you know Ukraine Poland border and then get it off into Ukraine and they can and shoot it off. So that was the initial plan. And I also had a good friend of mine that we served with who was Ukrainian and his, at the time his family was in Ukraine. They were stuck down in the south by Maripol and Berdansk and it was completely Russian occupied. So um, you know he was like you know he was like hey man can you help out or can you do it? And I'm like yeah we're on it. Like we were already building a network to help these to help the Ukrainians. And it's just instinctively you jump in, you want to make a difference. Like it's just, it, it's kind of a, it's just a part of you. And so me and Caleb just started, boom, like we just started getting a hold of people. We had, we know uh, NGOs that supply food into like very austere areas and, and logistics. What's, that, what's an NGO? So like non-government organization. I okay. believe it, I think that's what it is. Basically like NGOs, you think of like UNICEF or. I oh, think, okay. Yes. I, think UNICEF, yes. I might be wrong. But like AmeriCare and like an NGO, nonprofit. Gotcha. And so we end up getting linked up with Aerial Recovery, um, and they're a they go they're a very small NGO, and they go into uh, countries that have just been devastated by natural disasters or something like that. And it's run by uh, a wife and his, and and husband, and the husband's just retired from the special forces, and so he has a bunch of special operations guys like on the books, you know, or other combat veterans and stuff like that. So we end up getting linked up through a few contacts. And so that was the initial plans for us to go to Poland and then, you know, assist with people in Ukraine and, and help evacuate orphans. That's what they evolved into. So we get there, we get on ground in Poland and within a day and a half, two days, it's like, we're rolling into Ukraine. <laughs> we're going in. So we went wow. into Ukraine like right away. Yeah. Within about 48 hours. No shit. Yeah. Yep. Now you had made a post. I had read that you had evacuated at, at what point? How many, how many people? So while, families? I was, so while I was there, we helped coordinate the evacuation of 200 orphans. Fuck dude. Yeah. Oh so, God. Um, and then the, I mean, like, I always say like, look, we, I, I helped, I, you know, like, so we, the, the people that were working there were amazing. The Ukrainians, were are some of the bravest, if not the bravest people I've ever seen. Like, Fuck, dude, it's like, and I, I get chills now talking about yeah. it. Yeah, we are talking about it. It is the atmosphere in Ukraine and Lviv is just it's overwhelming. Uh, the sense of everyone helping each other and that sense of pride, and everyone is there for. They're all unified. Everyone's unified. Yeah, right? and so you get on ground, and so what happened was these orphanages are in danger areas. And so at the time we didn't have the vehicles to like run in and there's a bunch of other logistics problems. We're like, okay, so we end up, you know, finding people in the area, other, you know, they actually just Ukrainians that had vans. And what we do is we coordinate them and then send them over to these orphanages. But what happened was is, which is really shitty is that in Ukraine, the, the war, the Russian, you know, Ukraine, Russia war is creating a massive human trafficking problem because basically their, their people are trying to go over to Poland. But once they go to Poland and cross the border, people lose track of them. 
so that's it. It's like over. Like if you aren't being tracked or whatever, it's you're gone and it's happening. Like people are getting taken to either Russia or taken into Europe or whatever to be sold as, you know, basically human slaves. No shit. Yeah. And like kids are an issue too. So that was, that was working. That was to say that to say it was an amazing going over there was, it's not, the word's not amazing. I always, I can't think of the word to think of it, but it was incredible to work with the people there. Cause then I started working with anti-human trafficking personnel and I'm like, Oh my God. You know, like, you know, you're just like brushing and I'm asking questions. I'm like, well, I want to be a part of that. Like just that, that combat side of you comes out where instead of, you know, as my wife said, you know, this is different. It was very fulfilling being over there, even though, you know, even though I wanted to do more, it's, it's, you know, instead of taking lives, you're saving lives. Absolutely. And literally these guys are just like, yeah, we hunt down human traffickers across the world. And now they're, they're helping out with aerial recovery you know, their, their operation underground railroad is their actual NGO, I believe. And they go all over the place, um, worldwide. And then they help women that have been trafficked and get them home and, and, and find out and go to the local police. And so they were telling us those stories, but so anyway, so these orphanages, what happened was, is, is we end up getting linked up with the Ukrainian government. So we worked directly with the Ukrainian government and then we would get cleared to move these kids because they didn't want, cause we were moving so many at, at such a, a, a uh, at a time. So you're looking at 60 kids, 150 kids, 70 kids, you know, you know, right now I think they're upward. Like before I got there, they had evacuated over 200 kids already, like 250. So these guys are amazing. Uh, Jeremy, uh, wow, his wife, she's going to kill Brittany, Seth, all these guys are just amazing. I can't, you know, so many dudes that worked that were with us. It was just a giant team effort and, um, amazing people. And so then, um, Marco. And so, uh, we assisted with that 200, moving 200 of them. Um, and then, then we started kind of things slowed down a little bit because what was happening was, is that the government would have to have a say, like, yes, you can move these people. And then sometimes like, awesome. And then you go to these orphanages and they're like, we don't want to move it because it's dangerous, super dangerous to move them. And it's dangerous for them to stay. And they, in their culture, if something happens to the kids, you know, they, um, it's on them. You know, like it's so basically, you know, they would go to jail or whatever and they yeah. care about the kids. But the thing was, is like if we move them is maybe more dangerous at that point in time for than than for them to stay. But then things started getting really bad in some areas and they were like, we'd get in calls be like, we need to get these fucking kids out. We need to get them out now. So then we would, you know, contact the ministry. We go back and forth, have meetings. They're like, yep, get those kids out. You're cleared. Here's the manifest. So we're very technical in what we did. And there's a lot of NGOs that are amazing, but they're not as technical. They would like go in and get families like 15, 10, 12 at a time, which is amazing. They're, you know, rescuing people and getting them out of these danger areas. Um, but the thing is, if you move people without the government tracking and then they find out you did and something happens, like if you, there's a, you have a kid that doesn't have a legal guardian with them you can be charged with human trafficking. Oh, so you don't want to get stuck in that loop because you're doing a good thing. You're not trying to, but the thing is, is everyone's so vulnerable that they just immediately like, all right, you're human trafficking. You're going to jail. And you're like, obviously you don't want to end up in Ukrainian jail or get blacklisted because all you want to do is help. So So, after these kids are rescued, where do they end up? So what we would do is we put them in and we would find these buildings and other orphanages in and around Lviv, Ukraine, Lviv, and uh, that were in safe areas, like typically countryside or or something, you know, or like a, a building that's out of the way, like not a, near targets or anything like that, because everything's still a target in Ukraine. But Lviv, you know, is at the time we we would get cruise missiles and stuff like that, but they were around the city. We didn't, you know, air raid sirens to go off, but we didn't we didn't anything have anything land in the center of it. 
But what we would do is find these areas, and then the Ukrainians had kind of pre-designated buildings for these kids to go into. So then what we do is we receive them, bring them in, give them food, give them toys, give them you know, uh, water, clothing, and then put them into these areas so that they're safe. And then they also have guardians that came with them. So these, you know, so you're just like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, you tear up just like, you know, like they're hugging these kids, big smiles. And you're just like, Jesus Christ, you know, and because you're just, you know, you're just getting them out of a danger area to them, the safety and, and out, you know, and that's, there's some crazy stories that were, that are happening. And then we were always tracking. So we had an Intel cell of volunteers sending us intel intelligence information uh, to us so that we would be able to track what every single area that was going on around, you know, with the hot spots and all these areas. Yeah. So it was just, you know, it was, like I said, it was incredible. Uh, we ended up, uh, at that time, the supplies were starting to come in. So they were working with Global Empowerment Mission, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. And they had like $50 million worth of food and aid coming in, which is amazing. So we had these pallets come in and then we all, we were like, okay, cool. We got these pallets of food. Let's fucking get rid of it. So immediately we're like, we got people like regular civilians or like a, like that had their own trucks. We're like, all right, load it up, loaded them up and sent them to Mykolov. The, you know, couldn't send it to Chniv over by Kiev because that's, it's too hot. They've closed the city off. So then we go, all right, we're going to send it to Mykolov. They need food, water. And I always say this to people, you know, um, uh, that I talked to after I got back is you really feel like you, what you're doing matters and it does make a difference. Like, Without the NGOs and without the, all that supply coming in on the back end, helping and assisting the civilians, you don't know where it's good. You know, like this is this. It's like every day is a teetering point, and the government handed off the orphans, like the the issues with the orphans, off to, to aerial recovery, because Jesus. it's like it's it's a it's a hard you know it's hard to make that decision. But they're like, we have to win the war. You can't focus on evacuating orphans. But they did have a guy, you know, that was like, hey, yeah, obviously we're going to keep track of our orphans, but, you know, they can't dedicate a, a lot of manpower to it. And then you have all these the supplies coming in. Obviously, the weapons coming in from the governments are coming in, like, at a rapid rate. So they're obviously priority to win, to win the war. But then all this food and aid is coming in. That's kind of the jobs of the NGOs to kind of suss out and to make sure that that's moving correctly. Because once the government kind of got a hold of it in Ukraine, obviously any government, even, you know, the most proficient governments, it bogs down. Yeah. So what happened is every NGO has like a bunch of food and pallets coming in. We had our own warehouse. You'd bring it in. The government was like, you know, we had our guy that we worked with in the government and we're like, hey, we're going to send it here. And they're like, he's like, yeah, cool, whatever. Like it's not running through the official apparatus of the government. Mm-hmm. So we'd be like, pallets here go and they're like awesome no that was it no paperwork boom gone all we had to do is sign for it coming into into, into ukraine that was it it's amazing how fast shit can happen when you don't get the governments involved right exactly yeah <laughs> and they were cool i mean they just needed to know like our liaison just needed to know when we were making a run and that was it or if we knew where it was going like we're sending here he's like yeah and so we were actually going to send up to cherniv and he was like no no send it to mike love and we're like okay done and we just sent it and so, yeah, I mean, like every move you made, like it, it, you were making a difference and like it, it's, you know, at least, you know, like I said, in my opinion, like, so it's not like it's, you know, Iraq or Afghanistan. You're like, what did we do? Did, you know, you can question it all day, but there it feels like every day it's teetering and every decision that's made and every pallet that goes out of food, water that can make or break the difference of these people in these cities that are almost closed off or closed off. So that food will get to them and they can survive. Like these people, they're people sur- like surrounded by Russians right now and they can't get out. So it's just this crazy, you know, like 
yeah, it's just, it was, it was like a kind of a crazy wild experience. Um, you know, and yeah, it's just, it, it was, yeah, I should say like, it wasn't like amazing is not the word, but you know, you go over and you're, you know, you feel like you're making a difference and you are making a difference. And, and I always say like, for me, you know, I got my own opinions on whether or not the U S get involved or all this other stuff, but absolutely. Like it was amazing to see people just showing up. Like we were on the plane to Poland and you would look around, you saw a bunch of dudes with like military backpacks and like five eleven tactical on, you know, and there was like one guy that talked to my buddies like, Oh, Hey, you guys, you guys going to Ukraine, uh, you know, or going to Poland and helping out with Ukraine. And my buddy's like, yeah. And he's like, cool. Uh, he's like, Oh, I'm a retired Marine Corps. I just bought a one way ticket. If you guys need any help, let me know. There was like everybody that some of the people we worked with were just like, they met at the airport and they're like, I'm here to volunteer for two weeks what can I do to help you? And you're like, well, we could use uh, what do you do? Well, one girl was a nurse and she was like, yeah, come on with us. Oh, you know? Dear. And there was one dude, Vlad was from California, bought a one way, bought a, bought a round trip ticket for a week. Cause that's all he could do. But he's from Kharkov, Ukraine. He was adopted when he was 15 and he ended up becoming our interpreter. Cause he spoke Russian and Ukrainian. So he just flew over. I, but I think they met him in Warsaw in Poland and they're like, come on with us. He's like, cool. And just, Okay, that was it. And that's, it, it was like, that story is like comma. You throw a rock, you hit someone wanting to volunteer uh, to go so into Ukraine. Cool. It was, yeah, it's amazing. Wow. Like I said, it's just this uplifting feeling. And I'm meeting up with a guy in a, in a, in a pub called Dublin in Lviv, Ukraine, in the sure. Eastern Bloc. And he knows Grebes, our buddy that you know, that you met at the wedding, Grebes. Yeah. And he's like, hey, uh, meet up with Mike Gann. He's going to be there. I was like, hey, Mike, we might be doing this shit. You want to tag along? He's like, yeah. He goes, I'm part of this NGO, but I have nothing to do for the next few days. Like, cool. All right, let's rock and roll. Crazy. You know, we didn't, nothing, the mission didn't go, but like, you know, we had his, you know, we like had his contact and we just make this web of contacts. And so we worked with other people, NGOs, pal, you know, you know, we had stuff coming in to make sure we could distribute and all this other stuff. And yeah. And built an intelligence network, you know, built, you know, uh, I shouldn't say built, but like we just made contacts that helped the next he- guys rotation of guys coming in, you know, that could then push the, the mission forward. And, you know, uh, you know, people sending, you know, the companies that are sending food into the, into the uh, um, into the the trains or sorry the the bomb shelters inside Kiev like we knew that we knew her Jasmine she was been doing that for weeks so we you know contacted with her and we're like hey you know a good friend of ours I served with he knew Yana Yana was the one running the Ukrainian side of that so she was like hey we have this contact what do you need and they're like we need this this and it's like cool we'd gather it up and send it uh, and one of the guys I work with Jericho was up in Kiev and they were like we need 500 IFACs I was like well I can get you 500 med kits is that work or 900 sorry 900 or sorry Jesus 90 med kits I was like that's all I can scrounge right now they're like that works sent them all I it was like a drug deal <laughs> I was with Vlad and they're like, give it to this guy in Kiev and he'll send it up to, to uh, sorry, get with this guy in Lviv. He'll send it to Kiev. I was like, cool. And I literally just hopped out of the, like this busy street in Lviv and like jumped out with the three giant, it was like four, no, it was four black garbage bags and a giant duffel bag full of med, like medical IFAC kits, like tactical kits and then homemade ones. Cause that's how desperate they were. And then we just handed them off to this guy, jumped out. He's like, yeah, I'm right here. I was like, Hey, you're whoever. He's like, yep. I was like, cool. Here you go. It just handed it off. It was like a drug deal. Like, here you go. Boom, boom. He's like, thanks, bud. Boom, boom, boom. And then ran up into the building. And that was it. It's like, all right, let's go get some. Yeah, let's go. Uh, let's go grab, you know, whatever for the, the command center, like some food for the command center. And then we'll yeah go back. Like, it was just like, boom. It was just moving that quickly. And whatever you could do, you know, like I said, it helps. Like, because that's how desperate they are. We started helping develop a drone program. We started working with guys like, hey, uh, we need donations to start getting drones like over there, like commercial ones, just so that you know, the military could use them and also NGOs could use them. So then they started scrounging money up for that. And I started making contacts with that and like, see, you know, so it's just like, 
you know, and you're, you're there for two weeks and it's just a whirlwind, you know, and like so much happened and then I left and then more and more stuff was happening, you know? So, you know, it was nice to help to do what I could while I was there. And, you know, like I said, just to help make a difference, you know, and, and, you know, um, it was great working with those guys cause they're special operations guys. And then some were contractors and we ended up running a few guys that knew the same people we worked with over the years. And it's like a small world and community when you, you know, kind of want to do that. But yeah, going over to Ukraine was just like, like I said, it was just being able to do something about it. And, and it's kind of the first time you've been kind of be able to do that. Like, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan have been frustrating. Afghan evac was a disaster. And then Ukraine happens and it's like, and I tell everybody, you know, I was like, go fuck, go over, go for a week. Like you can go help. You can do whatever. Like if you're frustrated about it, just buy a fucking plane ticket and go. Cause you will find something to do there. Like, yeah. and you will cross over. Like people just go to go into, you know, obviously have enough money to do it, you know, buy it, you know, round trip ticket or one way and, and see what you can do, you know, and you'll get over into, into Ukraine. Like they're, it's not hard at all. <laughs> you know, your wife must be fucking chewing her fingernails off every time you walk out the door yeah so i it was yeah it was it was pretty emotional i mean like like it's what like for me just because like something like you know when it comes to warfare and it comes to like this type of stuff like that it just hits home so it's like for me i always want to get back into it or and i've just been pretty dormant for like a long time i you know i'm actually writing a a a, a, kind of my experience and the emotions of it of everything right now. I actually started it today, so I'm going to try to finish it by this weekend before we go to Ireland uh, to see if Coffee or Die will publish it. And, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, yeah, she's just like, she was absolutely, you know, pissed off at me because I told her I wasn't going to go into into Ukraine. I was going to stay in Poland, and that was the initial plan was for us to stay in, in Poland. And I was like, hey, like, one of the, she's like, promise you me you won't go and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. And then, <laughs> It's like, well, we're going into Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I texted her and she, you know, I, I talked to her actually. And I was like, hey, I'm in Ukraine. Lviv, everything's okay. Like, I mean, right away, I'm like, it's all good. Everything's fine. Yeah. You know, and, and then the cruise missile hit like the airport in Lviv, like three miles away from where we were living. <laughs> and she was like, are you okay, Marty? You know, you know, someone said this had happened. I was like, yeah, we're fine. We're good. You know, and, and nothing happened. And Jeez. yeah. So it wow. Was, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. She was like, yeah, she's she's great, and uh, you know, like I said, she's very pissed off at me when I went, but uh, very proud of me at the same time. Yeah, so, she's the sweetest woman I think I've oh, ever yeah, met yeah. on the she's planet. She's Fuck, great. dude, yeah, she's, she's great. Yeah, yeah, yes. she's awesome. Amanda's great, and so, and like I said, it's just like I think there's a more compounding issue. Like I've been gone a lot with traveling with Black Rifle and whatnot. So then throwing this two week trip after kind of all that, I literally was in Austin filming, came back that Friday, told her, hey. I have the green light to go to, I had talked to all my bosses. Like they, I, you know, everybody else like, yeah, they're all cool with it. And then yeah. what boss is going to be like, yeah, yeah we yeah, need yeah, to, we yeah. need to stick. We got some TPS reports that are due on yeah, Thursdays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. And the other thing too is like, yeah, one was not real happy about it. Cause they were wanting to get this one project out. I was like, yeah, I'll get it out. So I mean, while I was there, I managed to get the project done, like giving notes. Cause I had edited it and I was handed off. I was like, Hey, uh, one of my buddies, Caleb's another different Caleb. I was like, Hey, can you finish the edit? You know, for like another week. He's like, yeah, absolutely. Crushed it. You know, I gave him notes throughout the edit process and then we launched it while I was in Ukraine, you know, so I was in Ukraine when it, when it launched my, my project. So yeah, so managed to keep that going, but yeah, uh, they were all pretty supportive of, of it, you know? And then, um, where I was going with that. Yeah. So then, um, I talked to them before cause I was like, I need a full green light before I put my wife. <laughs> 
<laughs> wife through this before I even say anything to her. So I got my, yeah, I had gotten green light with a ticket with the NGO, talk with the bosses. They're all cool with it. And then finally talked to my wife and then she was like, Oh shit. You know, and I was like, you don't have to say yes or no. You know, I was like, or, I mean, you, you don't have to give me an answer, but I really, you know, feel I need to do this. And, but if you don't want me to go, I won't go. Like, it's a marriage, you know? Yeah. So, and we have an 11 month old. I think if we didn't have an 11 month old, you know, she'd be a lot more. To, it's tough. Like you gotta, you know, you know, I take care of Finley in the mornings, afternoons, dropping her off to, you know, picking her up, you know, it takes a lot of stress off my wife. We both obviously work from home, but you know, everything she does, it's like, well, you gotta do everything, you know, it's, it's a, it's hard. So yeah. So she, yeah, she was great about it, but yeah, she wasn't happy <laughs> at all. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, and it's, I told her though too, I was like, look, like, you know, this is something like, you know, Lviv was relative, you know, obviously relatively safe, you know, and, you know, we were worried about cruise missile strikes. Cause at some point we're like, Lviv is going to get slammed. Like it's going to, you know, and, uh, we think, we think so. Maybe not, maybe it won't. But, um, you know, I told her, I was like, Hey, like, I think, you know, you want, I told her, I was like, you wanted to volunteer for more stuff, <laughs> you know, like at, at like, yeah. you know, at like yeah. feed my children. For, yeah. You know, right. Like, this right isn't after. the fucking polling place down the road. Right. Once every four years you go help yeah. Gertrude yeah, fucking yeah. place her vote. Like yeah, this yeah. is just the shit that actually matters. Yeah, fill some bags of rice for like 30 minutes to make yourself feel good. And then, yeah. So I was like, you wanted to do more, you know, but, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely like, she was great about it and very supportive and, and whatnot. And it, it's that draw to do it. And I mean, honestly, like going in the combat zone like that again and being able to like, hey, we're going to set up these networks. We're going to do something that's going to directly affect the war effort. And that was something that just like it was amazing to do because we you know, you did something like, you know, that network that you helped set up in those contacts are saving lives, you know, evacuating the orphans and getting them into a safe zone like that makes a difference. Like they will remember that. Yeah. And you know, and we, I was only there for two weeks. Like there's guys have been that are, we were the one of the longer ones sitting there, like in that stint with two weeks. And then there's guys that are going for like a little week, week and a half. And now people are starting to make their cycles in that the, the main owners are there for much longer periods of time. But yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. Like I, I'm still very much involved with it. Like I still think about it every day. Like I was talking, you know, we still talk with some of the guys that are over there, but it's like, it's, it's frustrating getting back to like I won't say real life, like not real life, but like getting back to what you do here because it always, like I said, it's that relative game, you know, like over there you're doing something and you're making a difference, you know, and I come back here and people are like, well, we did, you know, this and that, you get kind of back to regular life. You're like, well, none of that fucking matters, you know, like, you know, it, it matters, but it's, it's, you know, it's trying to separate those two and, and even the desire to go back. Like, you know, we've talked, I've talked with my friends, I mean, you know, like I want to go back. Like, you know, they, they want me back. The guys are like, Hey, we could use you to come back again. I have other friends that are like, Hey, I think I'm going to go like with aerial recovery. Can you put a word in for me? Like I've cleared it with my wife, <laughs> you know, like guys in my generation yeah. are like, Hey, I want to go and help for two to three weeks. And like I said, I tell everybody, I'm like, I run into, I was like, go over right now. Like if you want to, I mean, like if you have the desire, do it. Like if it's just an inkling in your head, take a week off and go like, it's worth the week that you go because it's, you're, you're doing something. You yeah. Know, you get linked up with somebody or even if it's a church group or an NGO or somebody like, obviously you want to do your research a little bit before you go. You know, I was pretty fortunate to end up where I ended up with, but you know, you don't want to, you know, like you want to go and you want to like, say if you want to make runs in or you want to, Hey, I want to evacuate people or whatever. And then, you know, kind of do your research, oops, sorry, do your research and then, and then get a ticket and go, you know, oh, cause shit. people aren't paying you, you know, like yeah. and they're like, Hey, I'm here to volunteer. They're like, hell yeah, we could use another hand at the hospital. Use another hand 
you know, at a, at picking kids up or, you know, another driver or anything else like, you know, moving pallets or what can, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Or yeah, just show up and be like, you know, we need this or that, you know? So yeah, I mean, it's uh you know, it's, it's like I said, it's just, a, it was an incredible experience and yeah, just doing it was, yeah, it was like, I'm glad I went. Like it was, you know, actually a good friend of mine I met there, Marty, he runs the coffee or die magazine you know, he's the editor or he's the head dude. And, um, you know, he's like, yeah, man, cause this is going to be something for your memoirs. You know, he's a writer. So he thinks that way. Yeah, <laughs> you know? totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, I'll something. do some crazy shit now so people can read about it fucking 40 years. Yeah, from yeah, now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like, this will be, you know, and I'm like, yeah, true. But I'm like, you don't like, I do it because I feel the need to do it. Like it drew, drew me in. And it wasn't even like, you know, like as a combat correspondent, cause I always thought about doing that as well. But it's just different doing it this way. Like it's just different because you know I went over and people were like, "Hey, take some vid- photo and video, and then we'll send it. We'll edit it back here." And I'm like, yeah, "I'll try." I was like, "I, but I can't." You know. And then one guy was great. He was like, "Don't worry about it. If you can do some, don't you know? Don't make it a priority for to take photo and video. Like yeah. you're doing awesome." He wrote like, "You're doing more than we fucking ever done right now." Yeah. So just focus on what you need to do if you can, and if not, don't worry about it. You know, you're doing you're doing the work so you know so i was like yeah yeah so i took some you know some photos some video but yeah it was just one of those things we're just going like 20 hours a day and it was just like go 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 and and yeah it was just like i said we're just kind of switching gears on on doing certain things we were you know evacuating the orphans and then after that we would get them food and 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 they also be one day like hey the food didn't get to them that was supposed to get to them. Something happened, you know. So, and like, like, what would happen? Like, it's just whatever, you know, whatever vendor that was going to feed them, like, oh. just dropped the ball. So it it wasn't like somebody in like a intercepted it, or no, no, stole no, 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 it, no, no, or no, some no, bullshit. No. Yeah, it was like just that, something yeah. that was like, oh, there's something miscommunication or something, you know. So we would go and go to the grocery store and buy like, you know, a thousand dollars worth of food for a hundred kids that would feed them for like two meals. But then we'd get the vendor up and running and you know, correctly connected. And then they would get food after that and stuff wow. like that. So just like putting out those small little fires and it was like, okay, we got to get to the warehouse. You know, the pallets are coming in, make sure we can get the pallets off. Okay, cool. Pallets are in, they're secured. All right. Well, you know, and then we go back to the command center and be like, Hey, you know, they need pallets here. We have a bunch of food, water. We need to, fu-. you know, we'd always say it like, it's great working with those NGOs. Like we need to fucking get rid of this stuff. We need to send it out. And you're like, yep. And then we make a few text calls who needs food and water. And they're like, yeah, we do. Some person that we linked up with down in Michaelov or Nipro or Zappo, um, they're like, we need medical gear. We need this. We need that. Like, cool. We're going to send a truck out. You 20 pallets coming your way. Like, thank you. And then that's it. And it goes, you know, and they receive literally you are getting 20 pallets of food and water to these people that are absolutely clinging on to life. Like, it's so... Like I said, it's just it was just a, a crazy, incredible experience to do that. I know. Yeah. I couldn't find parking last night at First Ave <laughs> to go see Clutch, and I was all pissed off about it. I mean, it's like such a fucking like dirty, awful, shitty American. Not at like, all. Ah, not at it all. sucks, no, no. man. No, it's I crazy. Know. Yeah, it's. I always say, people's like, you know, like I said, it's just yeah. It's it's. I'm just glad there's a ton of there's a ton of support. Like just the fact that even you people talk about Ukrainians or buying T-shirts or like you know my my in-laws, you know, they're buying the wristbands and, oh. and t-shirts, you know, I, I, I love that. Cause I was over there and I did too. I bought a few Ukraine, you know, St. Javelin stickers. And there was like a company out of Canada. It's called St. Javelin. They just made like a, you know, Mary with a javelin and mm-hmm. it's, it's sold like over a million dollars worth within like two weeks. No shit. And then they donate all the money to a uh, Ukrainian uh, NGO that was, they'd already been working with. So it was already vetted. Yeah. And you're seeing a lot of that. People are just raising money. Like people like GoFundMe's like local, they're not local people in Minnesota, but like people in the U S they're like, 
they go up like, yeah, I started to go fund me and my parents and my friend, you know, I just started it. And so churches are donating just to get me a plane ticket and to get me an Airbnb to get over. And then I'm helping or, you know, like, Hey, I need money to, for gas to run, you know? So you start yeah. to hear these stories of people doing that. And it's just amazing. Cause they're like, I need to fucking go. And the thing is too, what's different between this and Afghanistan is the department of state is it's wide open. Like our government's like, if you want to go help the Ukrainians, game on. Like, they're like, go. Like, so there, you go into Poland, and I just was like, they're like, what do you do? And I was like, uh, going to go help the volunteer with refugees coming in, you know, from Ukraine. They're like, stamp. Like, thanks for coming. You know, and yeah. I was going, leaving in Amsterdam, going through Amsterdam, coming back. I'm like, what were you and you, you know, what? They're like, oh, you went into, you know, they're like, oh, what's this? You went to Ukraine? I was like, yeah, I was helping evacuate people out of Ukraine into Poland or not, sorry, not into Poland, but helping evacuate people in Ukraine. He's like, cool, man. He's like, awesome. Stamp fucking go. Like, there's no question, you know, of, Fuck, like they were, dude. cause it's now there's so many people pouring in yeah. to like help. And it's just, you know, they're like awesome. Like Poland's like, you know, the, the border is just growing, you know, everybody's the NGOs and everyone's that that's there. And, and, <clears throat> and it's still going. And, and it's nice to see, you know, Ukrainians like, We've seen how it's going to go. Well, you know, the Russians are like tactically, you look at the situation, you're like, all right, well, they're shifting their forces away from Kiev towards the south, but that's not, it's not a good thing. You know, it's good for Kiev, but they're going to have a lot of issue now because they are going to try to stamp out the south now because yeah. they're rerouting their forces to bolster that up. Yeah. What, so, what do you yeah. think it is that we're like so enamored with Ukraine right now? Like, we love it. I, I don't know what it is because this yeah. shit happens all the fucking time in the world. And yeah, I'm yeah. Usually, that's what, yeah. People ask that. And it's like, yeah. I think it's because. They're going up against Russia, which in our minds has been the, you know, even though over the last 20, 30 years, you know, good point. Russia isn't, hasn't been the bad guy for 20, 30 years. They always kind of are, but they're not. Yeah. You know, like if it's friendly. Yeah. Well, um, like, well, like to be fair, it's like a hundred people in Russia are the bad guys. Yeah, yeah, Everyone yeah. else is yeah, like, yeah, get yeah. the, could we fucking please? We're just trying to live our lives, yeah. you assholes. Yeah. yeah. And I think you're, you're seeing a conventional war play out that nobody thought they would see in their lifetime. Yeah. Like you are seeing tank on tank at the time. Not so much anymore, but like, I mean, they, the, the Ukrainian self tanks, but you're seeing basically a David Goliath story you're seeing and it's not even I always say this about people too it's like guys like us that that kept fighting it wasn't necessarily about America or about democracy it's always about it's about freedom and defending people that can't defend themselves and that's what it kind of comes out is good versus evil like the fight might not need to involve us I mean that's something that you always think about with Americans like well why do you want to go fight with the Afghans well those Afghans wanted to be free those Afghans like yeah it was worth it we built one school or there's a girl's school that is not getting, not getting fucked with anymore yeah maybe we did just kill a few bad guys that's all we need to do you know good versus evil however you want to spin it you yeah. know and I think that's what keeps guys going back into the fight. It's not so much America. I mean, it is America, but it's freedom of just being free yourself. It's defending that for any culture or any, you know, obviously not, like, you don't want a crazy culture or something, you know, like, but like, you know, for people that want to be free. And I think Ukrainians are that way. And I think you're seeing that, that Russia is invading and these people are dying and they're fighting for their lives. And at a scale that you're right, like you don't, you see all the proxy wars going on and they're always, it's weird. It's geopolitical. It's like insurgency. You haven't seen anything like, no, this country against this country. Like, yeah, we haven't seen it in a long time. I think in the nineties, maybe with Bosnia and, and all that stuff. But like, you know, this is just on a whole nother level. And on top of that, the Ukrainians are holding their own. And not only that have taken background. So, but the next few weeks, like you said, in the South, that's going to be, you know, it's going to be pretty intense, but 
yeah, I mean, you know, it, I think the the like I said, being people being enamored is the fact that like you're just seeing freedom and being stripped from these people, and you want to do something about it, and you're seeing. You know, they are hitting civilian targets. They are killing people. Like we, the stuff we were hearing, there are war crimes going down. The stuff, yeah. the messages we were getting, like, absolutely. Like people getting executed, you know. Uh, it was it was on CBS uh, yeah. Sunday yeah. morning. Right. They were, they fuck, they were showing those guys with like their hands bound behind their backs. Yeah, like, executed. Fuck, yeah, they dude. just, uh, it was up in the north. It was Buka. I think it was Buka or something like that. Uh, there's so many cities and yeah, they're executed. They got, you know bloodstains you know hands behind the back straight executions war crimes and so you know Do you think that there are russian soldiers that are involved with this that you have extreme ends of both of it where these guys are going oh, yeah. i fucking do not want to be here mom dad yeah. i'm so sorry yeah. i don't want to be here and there's other guys that are like fuck the ukraine i'm yeah. here to kick some ass yeah exactly oh yeah and there's always that spectrum like, really and, and yeah oh yeah i mean in any military you got guys infantry they're like what the fuck are we here and then you got the guys who are like anything you know god and country you yeah. know and i text, got a couple yeah. police officers yeah. in my hometown <laughs> that are kind of like that <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. yeah and that's what i'm saying is like and, and absolutely i mean you've seen uh there's been video of like russians just surrendering and they're like we're gone we're going back like you know this is the early days of the war they ran out of gas and they just started walking away from their vehicles yeah they did show that footage like yeah. tanks just like that yep. oh, fucking ain't working i'm out sorry yep. guys sorry yep. about that anyways yep. uh here's 20 bucks replace the window i'm yep. out exactly and, they're <laughs> out. And, and you're seeing that uh and some of these soldiers and stuff like that so yeah but at the same time i think people are also seeing this mass scale annihilation that hasn't been seen for almost what maybe 30 40 50 years world war ii you know like you're seeing entire cities be leveled like maripol is 80 percent leveled for no reason by the way and and the people that we follow like i follow and, and the intel coming out of there is like the military's holding its own down in maripol in fact a lot of the target like they've said it like people have, like even just to get the word out they're like we have held to the ground for five weeks here they have barely targeted they have targeted our lines the military lines but they have targeted the city center knowing that there's civilians in there. Yeah. And then, like, I hate to say it, that is a very harsh war tactic. It's just annihilation. It's total war. You kill the civilians, you wipe the buildings out, and just decimate. Because it kills morale. It's like, what what is there left to fight for but rubble, you know? Yeah. And they're the outside force, and they just keep launching rockets in. When and, they show those images of these cities that are just getting, like, completely devastated. Yeah. Dude, if you drive through North Minneapolis, you will still find tornado damage from fucking, like, yeah. 19 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And you're yeah. like, oh, how, the f- how long is it going to take to yeah. rebuild Ukraine? I mean, yeah. they literally are just, like, wiping out yeah. fucking cities. And you're- Ukraine is a very, like, very modern, you know, I was... Absolutely. Like, it, was, it was wild, and... And that's why I think I think that's why people are so enamored by it. It's just like you're seeing a modern country, and not, and not against like other third world countries, but you, there's always infighting there. Like I said, it's insurgencies, geopolitics, you know, just weird shit. Yeah. But you're seeing something that literally it'd be like if Italy went back to war, or you know, hunger. I mean, it really is. Ukraine is now at war, and you're seeing another nation and a standing military, not an insurgency, not this oh crazy radical group. You're seeing a conventional army level towns and cities indiscriminately killing civilians executing civilians and just moving forward and not giving a fuck too by the way yeah they're like talk about all the stuff we did in afghanistan iraq like you know when people get outraged over something like uh you know us pissing on taliban bodies like yeah think of it now like no one cares Absolutely. Yeah, you, yeah, like, yeah yeah they just like bombed a no shit opera house with a thousand people in it and 200 are dead you know what I mean? And people were like, oh, man, like these scout snipers pissed on a Taliban body. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it, yeah, the stupidest thing to do was record it. And, that, and yeah. like I'm saying is like, so the relativity is just coming out. Like, I think, uh, you know, 
I think people are just seeing it and they're like, oh my God, like we're seeing this and we want to help the Ukrainians. And then, but, and I think the other thing too, is just like, I mean, yeah, I'm sure it's propaganda too. Obviously there's propaganda on both sides. Like you still need that propaganda to push through the war. Like, and Ukraine's doing it too. But I mean, you're like, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Like, you know, like you guys, you know, like we get it. We know the overall scope. We know what's going on. So, um, yeah, I think it's just, everyone's behind them and they're like, Hey, like, you know, you know, I, it's it's a I shouldn't say it's a righteous cause, but at the same time you're like yeah it's a cause worth getting behind. I think that's why everybody's getting behind it. You yeah, know? it's just straight out freedom. Like it's just a country that's like, you know, like I said, I think that's a different when people are like well, what about Yemen? What about this? It's like well those are geopolitical wars. Those are insurgencies. Those are radical. You know, however you see, those are tribal groups. You know, that's I think that's why it's harder for people to get behind. Whereas like this is just a regular ass country. You know, like it's just a it's just this is a conventional war. Like Russia is invading Ukraine. They are fighting for their lives. Yeah. That is it. Like, full stop. Somebody had pointed out to me, um, they said the the reason why it is such a big deal for people that are in Europe right now is because uh, Russia invading Ukraine and completely just fucking decimating that country would be like if Colorado invaded Montana. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, you're right. You don't think about it, but in proximity, that yeah. shit's close. Mm-hmm. And if Colorado really just wanted to go rogue and start taking out other countries, you no wonder yeah. why other countries are getting behind Ukraine. Exactly. Like, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, they threaten everything. I mean, like, they started threatening Poland. I mean, at the point we were there, and the Russian, one of the Russian ambassadors or something started threatening Poland because Poland was helping. I'm like, well, you fuck with Poland, the UN gets involved. Yeah. Like, I was I was driving to the airport in, uh, in uh, Krakow, and they was straight up. Patriot missiles, U.S. Patriot missile systems, just like sitting at the airport, ready to fucking rock and roll. Like, no way! Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Jesus, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, and they're not a part of NATO, but at the you know, but everyone is doing what they can because you know it is an issue. Russia, if they take it, you know, Russia is going to be right at your doorstep. You yeah, know? and they are. And by the way, it's just like okay, now it's politics. Like, all right, well, they just took us over. What what's saying that they can't push into here? West, you know, like. People kind of bring it up. I, I actually had I had talked with Nate about this. I think last night or the night before. You know, we you know, and he had a good point of not getting involved, and I'm just a Neanderthal. I'm like, well, get involved. You know, like I'm very much grunt. Like, mm-hmm. fuck it, get involved. Like, let's do it. But like, you know, like, and that's the back and forth. Like, and Russia sees that. Russia called the bluff of the Western world, and then they invaded Ukraine, and they were doing that since January. Like the intelligence reports came out that they knew that they were invaded in January. Yeah, so, yeah. It's crazy how money yeah. talks because there's yeah. we we could be doing something, but we just choose like, hey man, there's resources and things that we don't want to fuck up, so we yeah. choose not to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then people are like the sanctions and all this other stuff. But what's amazing is seeing and that, and and the people there, like even though the U.S. isn't getting involved, obviously they know aids coming from the U.S. Like they love the U.S. citizens because there's so many U.S. citizens there. Yeah, like they're like. They're USA. like, look, if yeah, exactly. USA. Yeah, they're like, if your government's not involved, that's fine. You know, even though our government's involved, like we are, but like with with sending weapons and everything like that. But like, the Ukrainians on ground were so grateful that we were there, which is wild. You know, because yeah. I'm like, this is your country. We're just here to help, man. Whatever you need us to do, we'll do. And they're just like, in, enamored, and they are just ecstatic that you're there. They're like, oh my god, what can we do for you? We'll make like we had people making us meals, like in our command center. Obviously, we were paying for, but they were just like so happy. You know, they were just like, oh, you know, America. And, and um, we're like, yeah, we're here to that. I always say, hey, we're here to fuck shit up but in a good way. And they laugh, you know, but yeah. we're here to do make a difference. Whatever you guys need us to do, we're here. And they know that like they have floods of Americans and, and Europeans and everyone else. Just, I mean, like the amount of people like that were even Europeans or should I say even Europe, but Europeans are stepping up and they're like driving people to safety in like 20 hour drives. Like there's it's just animals just like 
going across multiple borders and turning around and drive like it's just insane like it's so like i said the help that's coming in is just like it's unifying it's just it's that the energy that was there like it's almost it's indescribable like you're just like a part of the cause yeah and it's making a difference and it's moving forward and in the right direction fuck i wish there was more military guys that were comedians that i could (laughs) hang out with because i just I, i love the mindset and i just love the the way the like your you and your ilk your outlook on life is so different compared to the most of the people that i hang out with on a fucking regular basis (laughs) and right right when this shit started going down i was at a show one night and people were talking about it and i had uh, i had jumped up on stage and one of the first jokes i had made was uh the uh you know crazy shit about happening in ukraine right now the president is a former comedian turned president who told the united states um uh i don't need uh I need ammunition, not, not a, a ride. ride. Yeah. And that's the first time ever a comic has turned on a ride somewhere. <laughs> and the guys in the back, like the guys in the audience were laughing. I could tell the guys like after I got off, they were just like fucking, you know, yeah. like we're not that helpless. I'm like, you fuckers are all helpless. Like I listen, like you guys are 20. You fuckers can't wake up before 11 a.m. to play modern warfare, let alone be yeah, in yeah. actual modern warfare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fucking That's a great yeah, job. man, I, I fucking yeah. can't deal with these guys yeah. sometimes. So uh, I could sit and literally just listen to the fucking stories all goddamn day. I I really wanted to get into the uh, Minneapolis riots because I know that you were down oh, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't have to do it now. Oh, yeah. Because I want to have you come back and tell oh, that story. Yeah, absolutely. And fuck, yeah. dude. Because yeah. I'm glad we did this now because I was like, when I get back from Ireland, we'll we'll, we'll sit down and do more. We'll get Greaves yes. here too. Greaves is just going to college, so we can do almost any time. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I yeah. just I, I find these stories to be just so fascinating, and, and the reason why you guys do it, and then not only that, I like I get when you're 18. I've had family members that were just like, I got no wind in my sail. Yeah, I got to find something. Yeah. And they were like, all right, I'm going to go in the military. But you're a yeah. fucking grown man with skills and a wife and a mm-hmm. kid. And you're still like, well, going to yeah. throw the fucking fatigues on and kick some ass today. Yeah. Like, I love that. Well, that's the thing, I guess, like, so I'll say this kind of this last piece that, you know, when people are like, well, why? Why are you going back over? Like, you've done your time. Like, a lot of people were like, why the fuck are you going back over? Like, why are you doing it? And at the same time, it's like, you know, I, it was I, I sounded really I, I said it before I said it to my in-laws and my friends and my my parents. And I said, I, this is going to sound really stupid. And yes, I know what the reference is. And I said, you know, be, one is because I, I, I was like, we have a certain set of skills, like straight up Liam Neeson. I was like, I was like, it's a stupid line. But I was like, because we can, because I know how, because I've been under stress. I've been like, like, and I, that's the kind of the piece I'm writing right now uh, that I'm writing up is is for coffee or die is just like it's it's what we did but it's the emotion behind of why i went and did it is i'm good at it i know warfare like and i I was good at war like i knew what it was like to be under fire i could react under fire those 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 moments that slow down you can make decisions and proper decisions you know after being shot after being blown up and very few people can make those type of decisions and also the training that i've had is Yep, I know how to set up a network. I know how to set up an intel network. I know how to set up a logistics network. I know how to lead missions, combat missions, mission planning. All these things, when civilians step in, that's great, but they don't know how to do any of that. And the guys I worth definitely knew how to do that, but I also can lend my experience, and they were very happy to know that, hey, we all know how to do this, and this is our world. Like, you're stepping in, this is different than other NGOs that go into a disaster area. You don't need military guys to go into a disaster area. You go search and rescue or whatever, that's fine. But you've stepped into our world now, and this is where we. This is where we're good. This is, or sorry, this is what we're good at. This is what we did, 
And the guys that, you know, I don't want to say you can't let it go, but it's always a part of you. And it will always be a part of me. That's something I, I kind of was writing today. I was like, it will always be a part of me. It just lays dormant. And then it comes back to life. And then, and I think. It's like the Hulk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, just, you know, and like, it's, sometimes it just sounds weird, but that's just how I felt for years. It's like, that will always be a part of me. And it's like. It's just, it, but it just lays dormant. And when it comes back to life, you're just like, I got, I, I kissed my wife goodbye and my daughter and I was walking through the airport and like that, it always switches on and immediately like game on. It's time to go to work. And immediately like everybody's like, well, you go to work every day. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, I was like, no, this is different. This is that feeling you get when you're going back into a combat zone and you know exactly what you're doing because I had been in there enough times and I have that confidence. Granted, what we, it's something we call like you're a master of chaos. Like, that's what you do. And I've talked to other guys over the years about this, of like, you just, you get good at war. And it, and, and it sounds weird or, or whatever, but it you just do. You know what to do under fire. You know how to do the mission. You know what it's like to be in that kind of chaotic situation, and it doesn't bother you. And you can keep your head cool, and you are, you do the pre-planning, and you know before you take off a mission that you checked all the boxes. I mean, that's part of it, too. And then when you're on mission, you know how to improvise, and you know how to handle that chaos to get every, to get as, do the best you can to get everybody back home. And also the mentality of no one gets left behind. And I think that's something that with Ukrainians, it's like those people are working so fucking hard and they're so brave that it's like going over there and just being able to help lend my skill to be like, no one gets left behind. We're bringing this orphans back. And those guys are like going in no matter what. And they're shooting up the vehicles and they're like coming back for more. They're like, yep, we got to grab more people. And it's just the bravery that you see coming from them is, is inspiring. And it's like, of course I should fucking be over there lending my skill. Like what, you know what I mean? It's just like, it'd be, it'd be stupid for me not to, because it's going to help these people, you know? And so, you know, and they're and they're more than happy to have us to be like, hey, even if it's a week or if it's two weeks, they're like anything that helps because every inch matters, everything matters, like every move matters, every every action matters there right now, and that's what it felt like when you're on ground, like every single move you made mattered, you know, and so that's uh, like I said, I you know, it, it's yeah, you know, like I said, my wife, she's like, yeah, you're done with it. I'm like, yes, yeah, I am done with it on the military side of the house, but like it'll always be a part of you. Like those guys, like I'm sure you know Vietnam veterans. I know you sure you know other veterans, World War II, it never leaves them. It never leaves them. My yeah. grandfather was Korean War. Till the day he died, the only thing he ever remembered was being a Marine. That's it. Like Absolutely. that's the last, it's like yeah. the last thing that goes is your military service or that being a, a grunt. Like he would barely talk to anybody else but me and my brother about the Marine Corps. You know, he had Parkinson's. And, uh, you know, and he just talked to us and, and that was like it. And he was a quiet dude. And then he always remembered that, you know, and that was kind of the last things he did when, you know, and, and because it's such a significant part of your life, like war, I always say war is the ultimate test of man. And you never forget that when you go through it. You know, I have friends that God bless them. You know, they didn't, you know, they didn't fare so well after being in Iraq. They kind of have shitty lives or they have, you know, they've always needed help along the way. But they always can come back to us and be like, remember those times when we were, we would never be friends in any other instance but war. And I always say war is like that. Like it's a, you know, it's just, it, it's a unifying thing when you're on that same squad, same platoon. Your lives are in each other's hands. No one gets left behind. Those are like things that you just never forget and you never let go of. And I think when Ukraine kicked off and my buddy Caleb, I hadn't seen him in 11 years. I met him in an airport in Chicago. The last time I saw him was on a CIA black site. You know, it's the last time I saw him, you know. And it was just like getting back together. It's like not a day had gone Comes by. Right back. Right back. We yeah. were right back into it, pinging off each other and like helping build this little Intel network and helping with the logistics and like, okay, we got to move. What's this? What's our mission plan? Let's go. And it's just, you're right back into it. And he was yeah. like 
so happy to be back to you know because <laughs> he's uh, his wife's in the military in the in the army now way after he got out and he's just like and he's got two six-year-old twins you know and he's just like he's kind of itching to get out of the house you know he's kind of he's got his own little business but he's kind of a stay-at-home dad you know but he's amazing he's he is his mind the way he worked was like phenomenal like he helped he was basically the one that built these networks that we knew like just by contacting and getting back to people and he's still doing it crazy yeah so unreal man yeah it's Pop just you. yeah 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 so are you sure you don't want to become a comedian and go on the road with me because <laughs> i've broke down with many comedians who don't have the fucking skills to help us get out of the woods alive so if you don't mind right, go ahead, yeah, write, right. write yourself a really nice tight 15 to 20 yeah 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 hop on the road right with on me that. yeah right yeah. on man sweet yeah. uh listen i want to i want you to come back in uh, a couple of months and we Absolutely. can talk more because Fuck, dude, your life is so fascinating, oh, no, and I'm no. such a fan of yours. And I just, I, I'm seriously, man. Like when, the first time I met you, I'm like, I fucking love this guy. <laughs> and then I met your wife; she's amazing. We were dating too. Remember that? Yeah. I was like Rudy Pavich, and I was like, I know Rudy, you know, because I knew you from Cast. I was like, oh, okay, you know. I was like, yeah, Rudy Pavich is coming over. She's like, Rudy? Oh, dude, and she met you. I was like, yeah, you want to meet him? She's like, oh my god, I'm a huge fan. Ah, yeah, fuck, yeah. I was so fucking like bloated and gross like that <laughs> time in my life. I was going through some shit. I was like, I met this really nice, sweet woman, and yeah. I could tell the look in her eyes. She's like, so nice to meet you. I was like, I'm, I'm going through a thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. I feel like. Shit. Well, you were like yeah. doing the shot too. You're like in the bathroom with yeah, like, yeah, the taking scene. a shit. Like, oh my god, I know, <laughs> fucking ridiculous. So yeah, yeah, yeah so right. right on, man. Well, thank right. you for coming over, Absolutely. dude. I Thanks really for having me. One hundred percent. Right on. Thanks for having me on. Sweet. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.